Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Today we have Dr. Michael Lusgarten joining us. He's on a quest to live 120 years old. This stuff is awesome that he's willing that he's going to talk about today. We're really excited and uh, pleased to have him join us today. But first, I want to kick it off with Jeffrey Sue. Now his last seven days have been. I, I got to hang out with you and got to say that your hair was really nice. Yeah, was it like you know reality versus uh, expectations? Did that meet? You wouldn't catfish me by any fucking regard, now. <laughs> I'll tell you what though, that that lighting there is just not the same as your old place. Yeah, what, the lighting here. Yeah, yeah. It's pathetic. I think it's better. No, no, <laughs> no. no. Well, I don't have my glow ring. That's why, because the lights oh, coming behind me in the kitchen. Come on, man. Where's your fucking glow ring? Dude, <laughs> you I left it in the office. Listen, the last seven days, you know, has been great. Obviously, I spent like, you know, what, three of them with with both of you guys. And the PEC was, you know, phenomenal. Obviously, you know, thank you so much for everybody, you know, coming out and, you know, the listeners of uh, the Essence Cartel supporting all of us and just being unified in that vision, right, to do better and be better coaches. So all that was great and met a lot of, um, you know, faces that I've been, you know, communicating with you know, on uh, Instagram and Facebook and stuff. So all that's awesome. That's what I love about all these conferences is because our world is so small and you get to finally, you know, put a face to a name and make new friends and um, connect with like-minded individuals. So I had a great time. Um, other than that, you know, my business is uh, uh, really, really busy. I made some administrative uh, leadership calls today. Thanks to both of you. Um, only one check-in a week now for my clients. Um, they can email me at all other times, you know, if they have a problem, but only one required check-in I was doing two and it was just creating too much work for me. And my clients didn't even like it. Like I had a couple clients tell me, they're like, thank God. Like, I don't have to check in with you twice a week anymore. Right. <laughs> so I was like, Jesus, like, I thought I was helping you guys out and you didn't get, guys didn't even want to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling a lot less stressed now that my clients are on board. I was so afraid that I was going to disappoint people. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. So all is well. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Jason, how was uh, your last seven days, bro? They've been great. I mean, like like Sue said, you know, I spent three of them with you all um, in Denver. I thought Denver went off great. Um, there was a lot of good social media postings that obviously, you know, we didn't prompt, you know, but people just did it on their own, um, saying how much it was helpful. And I think we're bringing more cutting edge information. And uh, I think that was respected and and appreciated um you know i don't miss denver and the masks i've never seen a more uptight fucking city in my life my god some sheep are in denver um got into it with a guy on the elevator he was about 100 pounds overweight he told me i was the problem for having my mask under my nose um i reminded him he hadn't really worked on his health in 30 years so i'm really not the problem um <laughs> so Hey man, you come at me at eight in the morning. I, I bind my business. You're going to be told, you know, if you're telling me I'm part of the problem. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's, everything's been going really good. Um, I, I don't have any complaints on the business side or bodybuilding side. I'm hitting my uh, stride, I think. And um, everything's good there. So moving on for trying for the Olympia next year and competing and all that stuff. So everything's clicking along. Good to hear, man. I have to say, I enjoyed Denver. It was nice. We sold out that event. You know, 50 people. Speakers were awesome. The social media was legit. Um, and then I like smoking a bunch of dope. 
uh, legally outside and not having to worry anything about it. Um, other than that getting cool. yelled at to have my mask on outside by a few people, which is weird because I had a joint in my mouth, but I was kind of like, all right, I'll pretend. Joints sound like food, right? Yeah, I know. I was kind of like, all right. But um, other than that, man, just getting back into work, we're, I've started working on a paid advertising. So I'm working my advertising guide to do that for Relentless to kind of start testing and toying with that so I can start scaling more rapidly. Um, and kind of close out 2020 strong because it's been a boss year for, for me and both my businesses with the gym and so forth. But, um, Dr. Mike, can I call you that? Is that cool? You got anything sure, special man. you want to be known as? It's all good. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Dr. Mike, Mike, whatever. It's all good. Mike, Mike. All right. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. How's your last seven days, man? Now that you know about us. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm coming at this from a different angle, obviously. Right. Uh, I submitted a grant last week, uh, our team submitted a grant. That's uh, proposing to look at the gut muscle axis in older adults. So, or actually oh, the effective, badass. the effective exercise training on the gut muscle axis. So exercise training, it's pretty well known to affect the gut microbiome in terms of the composition, but uh, um, how it's affecting, how the gut microbiome would affect muscle. That's not really known, especially not in, in older adults. Uh, so the grant's going to go after that, but then, you know, so if you exercise train older adults and you see changes in their gut microbiome and the stuff their gut microbiome produces, how can you test that the gut microbiome is causing that, right? So I think a really cool part of that study is we're going to take, I mean, you know, it's nasty, but we're going to take uh, uh, shit samples from the exercise trained subjects yeah. and transplant, transplant that into uh, old mice. And so basically, so pre and post exercise training for like six weeks of exercise training, it's just cardio they're not not it, it, strength training in older adults and well that's another issue but anyway long story short is uh yeah we're going to transplant the fecal samples pre and post so the same uh people are going to have their their shit without exercise training and with exercise training long story short if the gut microbiome has a role on, of a causative role on impacting uh muscle that should that should uh you know that should test it so but i just submitted you know just submitted it uh, the grant process takes a long ass time. It takes like uh, six months just to get it reviewed. So I got plenty of time to wait, but yeah, that was last week for me. Cool. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's, a, I, we got to bring you back on for that one. I definitely <laughs> hear all about this well, study. Like, I, I got to get it funded. Right. That's the thing. I mean, uh, most of, most of the funding in, in, in aging is Alzheimer's disease. Like if you look at the grants that they want, it's like nine out of 10 grants are for Alzheimer's disease. So you know, fingers crossed, I'm going to keep shooting, uh, you know, for uh, gut muscle, you know, the effect of gut on muscle. So, and what's even more interesting, I think is, um, you know, so that there are some studies, uh, I, that this is a tangent, right. But so there are some studies of, um, people blocking bacterial enzymes that can improve like cardiovascular related issues, whether it's stroke risk or hypertension or whatever. So, uh, bacterial enzymes, we don't have many of them. So if you give a drug that can block a certain bacterial protein and that pre prevents it from making a metabolite that messes with your health, well, that's pretty cool, I'd say. So um, I've been in this gut muscle field for, you know, a few years, five years or so, and I can see this road, you know, go, uh, you know, going down the line of, you know, we know that these bacteria and their metabolites mess with muscle in a bad way. So let's block those bacteria, like drug it, you know, and, uh, improve muscle related outcomes, you know, in whomever. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty cool. There, there are other scientists up here. One of them published a paper on, uh, you know, just giving, so looking at marathon runners, uh, even though it's a different thing from bodybuilding, but 
you know, uh, they, they saw that there was a certain bacteria that increased after marathon running that didn't, that wasn't increased at baseline in, in those subjects. So they took it out, they isolated it and then gave it to mice and the mice ran longer than normal. So, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the, you know, one bacteria, but you know, I don't, well, anyway, it's a whole complicated, I know I just said block one bacteria, but it's a complicated thing. So no, it always is. That sounds yeah. cool. Why don't you start a GoFundMe? I mean, you got fucking competitors in the industry starting it so they can go get an IFBB pro card. Why don't you go uh, start this so we can find out like, you know, real legit shit? Yeah. So um, I try to do that. And I was actually willing to go around. So Tufts, so I'm at the Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging at Tufts. Okay. So Tufts is a big megalith. Like they've got a campus in one city, a campus in another city, and then where I am, which is on aging. So I wanted to do what you're saying. I wanted to do a crowdfund for some aging, you know, aging related studies. And so they have like their own separate crowdfund page. Like, so anyone who wants to fund the tough study, they have like their official thing. So, um, and, and it's like little shit studies. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to piss on the studies that they have, but when I mean little shit studies is, you know, their crowdfunding stuff is like, you know, people donating a thousand dollars, you know, fund, you know, for a college kid, Hey, fund me to go to Europe, like stuff like that. That's, I mean, come on, that's not that I was trying to do some real stuff. So I, like, I talked to the uh, person at Tufts admin. I was like, Hey, I want to do this study. I see you have a page, you know, uh, it was actually going to be a third party thing. And we we're going to go on Reddit and Reddit was going to recruit through the longevity, you know, subreddit. And, um, the, the company that I was going to use is, you know, used, uh, uh, crowdfunding for David Sinclair. I'm sure you've heard that name. He's an aging. So uh, I was like, can I have them do the work? We put it on the Tufts crowdfund thing. And then you guys get a cut of the money. They get a cut of the money and I get a cut for the study. And they completely ixnated. They completely squashed it. They were like, we don't want to do it at all. Um, they just wanted to keep their little, you know, little shit studies. So anyway, yeah, I, I got in some serious trouble with uh, <laughs> my advisor. You know, he was like, you're pissing people off. And I was like, I'm just asking questions. I want to get the study done. And, and uh, he was like, how much do you think you're going to raise? I was like, I don't know, 50 to 80 grand, which is a lot of money for doing studies. And he was like, that's not a lot. And I was like, that's easy for you to say. I mean, so, but I'm still hammering away. Uh, you know, I've got grant funding right now. So uh, the science game, you just got to keep shooting with grants, uh, even though it's a tough business. So it is. Um, all right. Well, today I want to talk to you about, so I heard you on podcast, Wild Health, got to digging in on you on YouTube and so forth. And you're on this quest to live to 120 years old. So at least, uh, at least, at, at least, least, I know, yeah. I know. At least, yeah. I, I, I guess I, in my mind, I'm like, all right, get to 120, and we'll talk. If I hopefully I'm still here. Um, but but, but Jeff, but Jeff, there's a caveat in that too. So the longest living uh, uh, man in my family is my dad. He's 78 right now. Uh -huh. His dad died at 67. My mom's dad died at 67. I don't have long. My grandmother on my mom's side lived to 95, and on my dad's side lived to 86. I may not have, I, I definitely don't have longevity genes. So I don't know how long my dad's going to live, but all I can do is science the shit out of aging while I'm alive. And if that gets me to 95 or 96, like Jacqueline, that's, that's as much juice as my orange had, you know? So I'd love to get to 120, 125 and break the record, but you know, uh, how, how, what are, what are, what's encoded in my DNA, no matter how good I try, how much I try. So. Well, where did this idea come from? Because prior to the podcast, yeah. you talked about you had a little bit of interest in bodybuilding and not the magazines, a, yeah. and it kind of yeah. it, this kind of evolved from there. Yeah, not I didn't have a little bit, and I'm still obsessed with being ripped and lean and and in elite physical condition. I'm still obsessed with it. So 
um, I've always been into fitness. Uh, like, like I was saying, when I was a teenager, I was reading the, you know, uh, bodybuilding magazines, Joe Weider and all those guys, you know, so um, I had weights in my house. I still have weights in my house. I've got behind me uh, T-bar, you know, weights along the wall. So um, I'm doing my little workouts in, in, in here, you know, quarantine or not. But yeah, so um, I, I was always into fitness, and but I, I never took it really seriously in terms of longevity. I didn't even think about it in terms of longevity. So um you know, I graduated from university in 1994. I spent a couple of years dicking around, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, actually five years. And then I read a book by a scientist named uh, Roy Walford, who actually wrote a book called Beyond the 120 Year Diet. And it was basically outlining the studies on calorie restriction on how animals live significantly longer when you give them less calories. So then, you know, the, the, the light bulb went off. I was like, all right, if I'm going to do something with my life, it's going to figure out how to live as long as, as humanly possible. So from there, I uh, went back to school. I got a second bachelor's degree in biochemistry and then went to grad school for, uh, for you know, basically to study aging, you know, but that was in mice. And then uh, I got out of that after my PhD to study aging in humans. But, you know, the drive to be, you know, ripped and lean, uh, you know, has always been there. I mean, not necessarily from the bodybuilding point of view, point of view to, you know, how, how big can I make my muscles and how much can I bench and squat and deadlift and all that? But the idea to be maximally fit, um, but also to strive for longevity. I mean, it's always gonna, it's always, it's a part of my DNA. It'll always be there. I can't stand the idea of being functionally worse than I than I am or was when I was younger. So, I agree with that. I can relate. Yeah. How many years have you been in pursuit of this goal? Uh, in terms of actually studying aging or correct, like starting the um, aging and kind of get going. Cause that was my next yeah. question. Like, where did you start? Like, what was your ground zero? If you had a yeah, moment, so, you said, okay, I'm going to go do this. Where, where did it go? Yeah. So, uh, I'd say two, 1997, some, somewhere in night, somewhere in that range, uh, when I read the book and then, uh, you know, it took me three years to get my second bachelor's degree and then, um, you know, went to grad school. So yeah, it's been since 97 that I've been. But it, that's the thing. So it's interesting because, you know, um, it's one thing to be interested in fit, health and fitness, which is a relatively simple thing. I mean, if you get in the gym consistently and you eat well, you're going to have a, a good amount of muscle mass and be strong and, and, and lean and all those things if you do it right. But the taking it to the next step of understanding the biochemistry and the physiology of it all and then how that applies to aging, that's only been the last 20 years. So, um, yeah. Okay. You guys got any questions you want to jump in on? I don't have anything yet about like, you know, the buildup. I have specific questions about anti-aging. So I don't know if you're ready for me yet. You're yeah. Just- I think you have a little bit of like, this has been something he's been passionate about for over 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. That's why I'm letting you just go in the yeah. buildup. No, no, go ahead. If you want to ask a question, ask for a champ. Um, uh, I have a question. I, I didn't hear you mention. Oh, you you said Jeff. No, no Jason, Jason, go ahead. I thought Jet Sue was talking. Um, so I had a question. I didn't hear it mentioned on your podcast with on the uh, wild. What was the show called? Wild health. Wild health. Um, what are your all stances on metformin? I, I take it. I've read a lot about, you know, slowing down glycation. Uh, glycation makes us age, all those different things. Um, I know there's some articles that came out that metformin isn't the anti-aging drug, but every a lot of things I read on it seems like it, it can be. Have you studied it? Do you believe yeah. in it? Do you use it? Where, where you stand there? So for me, supplements are a last resort. So, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm anti-supplements. Uh, so I take, just real quick, I take a uh, methyl B6, methyl folate and a B6 stack. 
my homocysteine kind of gets out of control for whatever reason that helps to keep it down. And then I take vitamin D in the winter. So I'm not anti-supplements, but so metformin increases lifespan in mice, but the magnitude of the increase isn't like uh, on calorie restriction. So you get a small increase, but I mean, you, you've also got to consider these are caged mice. So if you're living in a box, never leave your house, eat basically a grain-based diet, uh, you'll live a little bit longer than normal taking metformin for most of your lifespan. So now if, if, um, if you said to me, all right, now you're a hundred years old, you've tracked your glucose, you know, for decades, you've tried different strategies and you've been able to keep your blood glucose levels from rising during age, which they do. But now you're a hundred and something years old or 80 years old to pick an age. And no matter what you do, you know, whether it's your diet or physical activity levels or whatever, without going the supplement route, now, if you say, all right, my glucose is going up, I don't have any resort, nothing's working, I'd say take metformin. But I think, I think most people aren't in that boat. They, I think they, most people are in, not, just using metformin as an example, I think most people jump straight to the supplements without trying to tweak diet or, you know, workouts, you know, whether it's intensity, duration, frequency. Um, I think most people go to the supplements first. And I wish it wasn't like that because once once the supplements fail and then you're just stacking supplements on top of supplements, then uh, there's such a thing that's called polypharmacy, which in older adults, the more medications that they're taking, they actually don't do better than people who are on less medications. So, um, you know, I, it, that's why for me, it's a last resort. Okay. So, something to think about. Now that is Sue hit him. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I got a bunch of questions. So, you know, I, I found it very interesting when you were talking about all the correlations that you were making and all these regression models and all this, this science and math and everything, right? And so I was just, you know, thinking like, what an amazing marriage it would be one day if we could somehow implant AI into our bodies to consistently calculate all these metrics. And so I imagine that it would be pretty hard to pinpoint correlations and interactions though, between various um, substrates and then various um, biological indicators in, in lab work. So what sort of, if you can give us, you know, the, the general population, like someone like myself who isn't a researcher or a scientist by any means, um, you know, what sort of approach did you take to make sure that your correlations were in fact accurate as possible and um, that you were making the right connections between taking, let's say, you know, vitamin D and how that correlated with, you know, your, um, your albumin levels, for example. Yeah. So for most of the stuff, I feel like I'm still in the discovery phase. Like I can't say with certitude, you know, I could come up and bullshit and be like, oh, I've got it all figured out. It's still a lot of it is still in the discovery phase for some things like albumin. I feel like that's easy to manipulate because I've seen changes, positive changes, and I've been able to, you know, resist the age related decline. But uh, I should say too that for the for the regular, all right. So there's a couple things. One, I share that vision, where eventually, you know, I just you know use my toilet, and based on what I poo out or pee out, my quote unquote smart toilet will say, all right, this is what you should eat today to you know maximize uh, health and minimize disease risk and all that stuff. And I actually know some people, some companies that are working on stuff like that now. So that's going to take some time to get it to be really good though, because to to analyze the metabolites that's in your you know, any, any biological fluid, you need, you know, mass spectrometers, which are huge. And to get that into a toilet, it's going to take time. But, yeah. and, and I, I hate to sound pessimistic, but it took a hundred years plus to get phones off the wall in the cord and into our pockets. And that's with 
a, you know, a demand for, for, for phones, right? To make a, a you know, metabolite analyzing machine, which, which there isn't a mass demand to get it into a toilet. If it took a hundred years for a phone, how long is it going to take for that? But all right, besides that, I still want to have that in my house. Uh, but all right. So in terms of, so I'd say everybody, in my opinion, but in bias, of course, should be on this road in terms of, um, you know, measuring their blood a few times a year, tracking their diet, and then, or not tracking, not just diet, tracking, you know, fitness variables, tracking workout, workout, you know, how you feel during workouts, pick, pick your metric, right. But tracking everything and then recording it. And then, so it starts with simple correlations, right? So you just, I just, I'm using it in an Excel file. I'm not doing anything, you know, advanced. So, um, you know, for each given variable, whether it's, you know, uh, my macros or my micros or just individual food intake, how does that correlate with a given biomarker? And if something stands out as a very strong correlation, you know, then I'll go after it. All right. It looks like my walnut intake is affecting this. So I'm going to cut my walnut intake and how does my blood change next time? So if that's a real correlation, it'll get stronger in terms of the math. Like, so correlations, you know, go from negative one to one. So let's say the correlation was 0.8, which is strong. And then if I do whatever I did to walnuts, cutting it or whatever, this correlation goes to 0.95. All right, maybe it's walnuts. So what if, if that's true, if I cut walnuts out, then the correlation would weaken, maybe it goes to 0.6. So uh, I kind of use this, so that's a very rudimentary approach, but that's, you know, uh, the best that we can do right now before having enough data where eventually you just use AI and machine learning and it pumps it out for you. And I, and I think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to some people who are, who uh, have computer science backgrounds and they're like, you just don't have enough data. And I'm like, I have 2000 days of diet with 25 blood tests. How are you going to tell me that's not enough? And they're like, yeah, we deal with, you know, thousands of thousands more data points than that. So for, for me, it starts with the correlations, but I've recently graduated into, all right, if I've got five, five uh, nutrients or five foods that are associated with a given biomarker. Now, can I put them into a bigger model that can predict with greater, you know, greater certainty how the biomarker changes? So just like the correlations, if, if those five things or three things or whatever it is are really impacting that biomarker, then if I change them, when I change them, the, the strength of that model will either improve or weaken. And just that continuous trial and error process, eventually I'm going to get to the point where I've got enough data where I can say, all right, this is the diet that seems to really optimize everything best for me. Right. And then, you know, people are going to say, oh, can you validate in a la larger cohort? I don't want to. That's what works for me. I want each person to take that rigorous of an approach to do it for themselves. Because one of my videos I, I made, you know, just as an aside on, um, you know, resting heart rate, and I showed my data over the last two years. And, you know, there's like, you know, a low point in the winter of 2019, it goes up in the summer. And then it, there's another low point in the winter of 2020, and then it went up in the summer again. So I, 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 I use that data to compare it against the published data in a study of 90,000 subjects. And actually it's the opposite for the 90,000 subjects. Their data is highest in, this, uh, in, in the summer and lowest in the wind. Wait, whatever my data was, it was backwards. So, you know, the big epidemiological studies are good, but testing at the individual level and rigorously, you know, are important. So. Got it. Thank yeah. you. You talked about albumin. What is it and why is it important? Yeah, so it's a protein made by the liver. Um, it's um, it's uh, levels go down uh, with age. Uh, it, one of those reasons being inflammation. So inflammation goes up with age and then inflammation actually, it either increases the degradation of it or decreases the synthesis of it such that there's less albumin over time. So it's important and well, com almost completely under, underrated 
you know, most people think about things like glucose or lipid panel first, but uh, there are biological age calculators, which basically use these clinical uh, biomarkers that have been studied for 50 to 100 years or more. And uh, albumin is one of those. And on at least three different um, uh, biological age calculators, which go into it saying, all right, we're not going to pick these biomarkers. We're going to use a machine learning approach and see what ends up, uh, uh, you know, picking the best biomarkers to, to, you know, predict biological age. And in at least three of them, and there aren't that many, albumin comes up as a, a top predictor of biological age. So, um, so yeah, it goes down with aging and, and not just that, lower levels are associated with an increased risk of death for all causes. So keeping it as high as possible, somewhere in the five uh, grams per, or, or five milligrams per deciliter range is optimal. Um, centenarians have values that are like 3.6, you know? So um, yeah, you wanna keep it youthful. How do you improve that? Yeah. For me, for me, the strongest correlation is with uh, beta carotene, um, which I get most of from uh, orange vegetables like carrots and uh, orange sweet potatoes. But beta carotene is also in things like spinach and red bell peppers. That well, that's where I get it. Parsley, which I eat decent amounts of. But to get um, it, so for me, about 55 milligrams a day of beta carotene is uh, moderately strongly correlated with uh, the albumin. So what that means for me is like you know today I had you know, uh, 20 ounces of carrots, which is, you know, pound and a quarter or, you know, uh, half a pound of orange sweet potato. So I'm eating large volumes of vegetables, um, with the goal of optimizing, optimizing albumin. And, you know, I, I'm sure you, you guys have seen it, but if not, you know, before I tracked seriously in my thirties, I was measuring albumin once, once a year, basically. And the average value over like eight measurements was like around 4.74, something like that. And then since I've tracked more seriously over the last five years, like 25 blood tests over the last five years versus seven or eight over the previous 10, I've actually increased it to 4.9, 4.9 something. Uh, so while during that time for my chronological age, it should be somewhere in, I don't know, 4.2, 4.3 range and going down. So I've gotten it to go the other way. So whether it's beta carotene or something else, uh, I mean, it's a correlation, but I'm confident that it's, it's probably beta carotene. I have a question. Go for it. How do you manage the, um, I guess, if you want to think about clinical symptoms, how you feel and function versus, um, you know, biological markers like the lab results, how do you balance all the various values to find what is true optimization? So for example, like, so to clarify my point, like take testosterone, for example, right? If you want to optimize that for a male, you know, let's say in his thirties, you want that to be anywhere from 600 to 800 nanograms per deciliter. But then you could have a negative effect on your hematocrit or a negative effect on your PSA uh, or estrogen. Uh, how do you how do you determine like what to maximize at the expense of one other thing yeah. or vice versa? So uh, I stick with basically the uh, standard chemistry panel and then, uh, you know, white blood cells and red blood cells and all the differentials. So that stuff has been studied, like I said, for 50 to 100 years plus for depending on which biomarker that you're looking at. So those are using, using those blood tests are reflective of, of pretty much every organ system in the body. So um, for me, it isn't, I, I, I get your point, you know, if you optimize testosterone, but mess up your hematocrit, that's a problem. So for me, I'm not interested in just optimizing one thing. I'm trying to optimize everything simultaneously, all of the biomarkers. And this isn't just, oh, is it in the reference range or not? This is what's optimal in terms of aging and disease risk, which is different from the reference range. For example, like something like white, white blood cells, which you've got a range of four to 10 or 11, you know, there's actually data showing three and a half to six is, is optimal in terms of aging and disease risk. So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to optimize everything across the board. So if that means, you know, my t- testosterone would have to be, you know, towards the lower side of the range and everything looked, you know, beautiful. And I felt like shit. Well, you know, I, I'd have to consider there, right? Because right. feel is important too. You don't want, but, but I'd argue that, you know, if you optimize all your biomarkers and, um, you probably feel pr- pretty good. You wouldn't feel like shit, but that would be the rare case. But um, yeah, optimizing th- everything simultaneously. But that said, you know, you've I've done like deep dive literature views on basically all of those forty biomarkers that you get when you know the standard uh, checkup when you go to the doctor. So it's important to know how these things change, you know, during aging and disease risk. And unfortunately, even most MDs are just oh, you're 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 high range, but you're okay. They don't care until you get out of range, you know, either low or high. And, you know, that's, that's a problem in my point of view. So. Mm, thank you. Jay, you got a question for him? Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like I might've missed, I know you had a top three markers and I was listening to that other podcast and I might've missed your other two. So I'm going to ask you to fill those in. But my question is if one of them is not cortisol, why not? Everything I read and everything I've ever just seen stress in my opinion is what will drive aging because that's going to drive glucose up. That's going to mess with sleep. That's going to lower the betaine hydrochloric in your stomach. So now you're not digesting right. So to me, cortisol should always be one of the top markers. And if it's not, then I'm curious why. So it's, um, it, it for sure it would be, I'd have testosterone in there too, but I'm looking at it from the, uh, biological age point of view. And, um, you know, so usually in these large 10,000 subject studies, most people aren't getting their, you know, their hormone levels checked. It's just the stuff you go when you go to the doctor, you know, and the stuff you go when you go to the doctor are the simple things, glucose, albumin. Yeah, so never that's, yeah, never. So, so, and even if you did have a study that measured cortisol, it'd be a smaller study. And then you can't actually derive biological age or look at disease risk in that smaller study. So you know, I wouldn't want you to misinterpret and be like, ah, I don't, I didn't put cortisol or hormones on my list for sure. Listen, in an ideal world, you know, we've, there would be a multi-omic approach where you're looking at all of the circulating metabolites, all of the circulating, you know, uh, proteins, your gut microbiome, your DNA, and then you're quantifying diet and, you know, environmental air quality, as many of the variables as possible, including hormones. And then you put that into an AI system. Science is so far away from this though. That's the thing. It's going to take decades. And then eventually that the AI will be able to integrate those, that wealth of data and say, all right, these are actually the most important variables for you. And it'll differ. It'll likely differ for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I was going to say some people, you know, I watch a lot of blood work and, you know, there's some women who, and even men, you know, they train hard and their cortisol skyrockets and you got others that'll be on a six day a week training program. And it's, it's beautiful. It sits about 10 serum in the morning. So I, I agree with you. I just, um, I get it now. You were looking at sample sizes, trying to get as much sample as you can. And unfortunately the medical community doesn't connect the dots with cortisol, which is unfortunate, but, um, got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely important with cortisol. It, like you said, it, it's definitely important. Yeah. So. Cause I mean, you know, even then when stress is up and that's low, now, now your cortisol, now your cholesterol stacks, cause you can have high cholesterol and if you're low inflamed, it's not stacking in the arteries really. Yeah. Um, but anyways, okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah. What are your top three, top five biomarkers? Can I go to nine, my top nine? Yeah, you could give us all. <laughs> cause I mean, I'm interested to hear. Yeah. So, um, so I've been, uh, the nine are on, uh, Morgan Levine's, uh, biological age calculator. So she's got, uh, it's, uh, in, and that, that, uh, 
that those nine biomarkers uh, are very highly correlated with biological age to the point where, you know, so again, a, a perfect correlation is either one or negative one. That biolog biological age calculator in two different studies, the correlation was 0.94 and 0.96, which is almost as perfectly linear as it gets. So uh, included on that, on the, of those nine biomarkers are uh, albumin, creatinine. So you got liver function, kidney function, glucose, uh, you know, so metabolic, um, uh, white blood cells, alkaline phosphatase, is that six, percentage of lymphocytes, seven, um, what are the other two? Ah, uh, and then the other two are related to red blood cells. So red blood cell distribution within uh, mean corpuscular volume, so the average volume in a uh, red blood cell. So yeah, that combination, and it isn't just biological age that that calculator was very highly predictive of. It, so if you had an older age, biologically than your chronological age, it was associated with an increased risk of death from all causes, regardless of what your starting age was. So if you were young, it still increased risk, young, middle-aged and old, higher bio biological age and your chronological age, yeah, higher, higher risk of disease. So for me, I mean, uh, that's, it, that seems like an easy way to condense down the 40 plus biomarkers that you get when you go to the doctor uh, and CRP inflammation. That was, that's number nine. So, um, yeah, it's an easy way to condense down the larger 40 or more variables that you get when you go to the doctor to just nine. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, speaking of CRP, I actually have that as one of my questions. <clears throat> so I've seen this be all over the place with myself um, and clients. You know, sometimes you'll see it be like, you know, 0.9 and the other times four. And, you know, the pattern is usually the same. What goes into determining that marker and like how beneficial, I guess, is that in the long term? Do you feel? I mean, obviously it's the top nine, but what happens is when clients see their blood work too and they're like, oh my God, my CRP is 4.6. And then they're like thinking they're having this massive heart attack that's awaiting them. How do you kind of put all of this in perspective, especially when it comes yeah. to CRP? Well, CRP uh, goes up during aging and higher levels are associated with an increased risk of death for all causes. So then the question is how low is optimal? You know, so the reference range is less than one, but you know, there are, I have a video on this too. There are studies, you know, a few studies uh, showing, you know, values less than 0.33, I think are associated with lowest risk of death for all causes. So lower is better. Um, in terms of what affects it, I mean, a multitude of things affect it. you know, overtraining can affect it overeating can affect it. Um, so figuring out for me, actually, uh, so in the summer, um, I've got, I, I suffer from seasonal allergies. My CRP doubles, doubles to triples every summer. Uh, so for me, knowing that every, for, for this summer relative to last summer, you know, I bought an air, I bought an air filter trying to reduce, you know, the allergen burden that I was exposed to, to try to reduce my CRP. Uh, and then ended up, that ended up opening up another hypothesis that my bedroom is too damn hot and I'm not getting good sleep. So that affects my metabolism, which may have raised my CRP. So a lot, I mean, lots of stuff can affect it. It's just individually figuring out on your own what, what would affect it for the person who's got the four, six or whatever. So metabolism affects your CRP. So, so like when oh, you're yeah, working yeah. your calories, like you're working calories up with a person to get them metabolically enhanced before like you do a prep, which is what coaching industries move towards and helping restore, you know, hormone balance, things like that. You can see CRP going up because of that. Is that what you're saying? If you're overtrained, right? So okay. if you assume, if you assume everybody's got a window of, I, I don't know, are you a sports fan, like a baseball, baseball yeah. fan? No, hit me or, with the Red Sox guy. <laughs> I'm not a, actually, a, I have no, no sports teams anymore. I, I, I used to be a diehard Yankee fan and then I divorced them because I couldn't stand uh, Brian Cashman as a GM. 
and after Jeter and all those guys left, I was like, I, I'm done. I, so I, I'm, I divorced all my sports teams. I just respect, <laughs> I respect the game, but um, you know, so some, some starting pitchers, so some pitchers can throw 200 plus innings, no problem. Arms not going to fall off. And actually back in the day, you know, Nolan Ryan days, yeah, dudes throwing 250 innings, 280 innings. Nowadays, it's like, you know, they're babied where you can only throw a certain amount of innings because maybe you'll end up with arm problems. My point is, you know, uh, you, you've got relievers who are geared towards, all right, I can throw for an inning or two and throw 60 innings a year and my arm won't fall off. But if you move them into a starting position, then, you know, their arm's going to fall off, right? So I, for me, I think everybody's got a window and uh, at least in terms of exercise capacity, um, whether it's muscle mass, how much muscle mass do you have, or, you know, how many days a week you can train or how many hours a day you can train, right? So that's going to be different for everybody. And I think if you push someone past their own individual limits, then stuff starts to break down. Uh, just, just similar, like, you know, so finding that is the key. But for me, like, I, I wish I could train every day. And actually, I, I worked as a fitness trainer for two years in New York. And uh, so I was training every day, like myself and clients. And going home exhausted, like exhausted to the point of like chronic, chronic fatigue, exhausted. Yeah, I've been there so before. It, yeah. So it wasn't until I started tracking like my heart rate variability that I realized I can't train. I can't train more than once every three days the way I like to train. Um, if I train more often than that, I feel like complete dog shit. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to look at anyone. It's like, it's horrible. So um, I bet, I bet pushing someone past their capacity in terms of what their, you know, their natural capacity is for, um, for all those variables would increase inflammation. Um, yeah, that, but that's, that's all speculation, right? So any cheap hacks, you know, of that you can mention that would help improve CRP before we move on to another topic. Uh, cause I know everyone's going to be like ask wanting to know the answer to that. I think yeah. it's pretty much just going to be rest and recovery is what you're going to. Yeah, I would say rest and recovery, but, um, yeah, that's such a tricky one. It's funny. I was going through YouTube videos today because I'm going to make a YouTube video on um, biological age and people who have reported their blood test results on YouTube. And uh, some bot, a, a big ripped dude, bodybuilder, he posted his results and his CRP was insane. It was like seven something. Actually, it was pre-contest prep and three weeks or it was pre, yeah, pre-contest prep and three weeks away from uh, from contest. And his three weeks away was, uh, yeah, it was like seven or four or something high way higher than it should be and you look at him he's ripped and lean so man i don't know what the answer is i like because obviously he's cutting calories and he's training is it overtraining that situation i i don't know it's going to be different for everyone so but you know for, for me i don't have all the answers but discovering what impacts your own variables i think is is it's you know it, it's important. It's as important as it gets. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out for most of my variables, what actually impacts it. So, but as you, as you have those hypotheses and you say, all right, it wasn't, um, you know, my seasonal allergies, it was, my room is 90 degrees at night and I'm not getting good sleep quality. And that's messing up my, uh, you know, my metabolism literally, you know, so I, I think going through the hypotheses on your own at the individual level, and then actually discovering it rather than generalized recommendations. I think that's the key. Thank you for that. You, Sue or Jason, you guys got any questions to ask real quick? A question. So this is more so of like big picture application type of uh, a viewpoint here. So <clears throat> I recall, you know, I have notes here in um, my phone when I was listening to your podcast about how mushrooms and, and niacin causes uh, liver enzymes to go up. For me, and, for me, uh, for me, for me. I don't know for, for everyone. Yeah. 
Okay. So I, it got me thinking, right? So is the goal in terms of longevity to never let, you know, these specific, you know, markers go up? Is that like ideal? So it makes me think about like, you know, when we we're little kids, like, I don't know if you ever played like Legend of Zelda, you know, when Link starts off, he's got like a whole bunch of hearts and then each enemy comes across, you know, the heart takes a hit and you lose your life, right? Until you finally die because you've taken so many hits. So is that the goal then is to never let your blood sugar, if you can, never let it go above like 70 nanograms per deciliter or your CRP, never let it exceed, you know, whatever, you know, measurement, it, whether it's HS or if it's regular CRP, is, it, is that the goal? So, yeah, uh, I think that is a part of the goal is to, is to keep in, keep all, as many biomarkers as possible within their optimal range, not the reference range. Uh, and discovering what impacts that so you can come up with your own personalized nutrition and exercise approach to your own optimization. So for some things, for example, I go way higher, like for, in my diet, I go way higher than the RDA. Like vitamin C, the RDA for vitamin C is, uh, I think it's 60 milligrams a day. I purposefully eat uh, more than a thousand milligrams a day and not supplementing. I'm not popping vitamin C, C pills. But the reason I, I do that is because there's evidence that higher levels of vitamin C in the blood which can only be achieved through higher vitamin C, you know, diet, right? So are, is again, associated with a lower risk of death for all causes. So I try to do as many, you know, deep dive literature views on, uh, you know, diet, for example, as possible. Also vitamin K is another example, like the um, RDA or AI adequate intake is like a hundred micrograms. And I, per I mean, I'm averaging probably 15 times the RDA, uh, you know, but just because I've got hypotheses that I think, you know, are going to uh, impact insulin sensitivity and, and, and disease risk that, you know, so sometimes science hasn't caught up to what's published and it may take 20 years for science to catch up and say, all right, there's an abundance of evidence for this, uh, you know, for vitamin K to be higher than we've got it. Now let's officially change it. So I try to be on top of the literature to, you know, um, see things that should be higher and integrate them myself. So it's not necessarily, let's keep everything in the range. It's where can we actually improve upon what's been reported? Um, for example, too, like albumin, like I think in youth, in big studies, like 4.7, uh, you know, or somewhere in that range, 4.8 is, is what's found in youth, like 20 year olds, but I've seen 20 year olds and triathletes that have values in the five. So, uh, I shoot for a little bit higher than, you know, the, the, you know, the high end of the reference range. So it doesn't necessarily keep everything within the range, but wherever possible, how can we improve upon what's currently known? Okay. Thank you. And then, and then it's not perfect. Like I, I, I'm uh, part of the reason I put everything out there. I try to document my approach is because, um, I want people to, to say, all right. So like when I was a kid, I saw, you know, um, Jack and Lane and Jack and Lane was like, eat real food and exercise. And all I could think was, can I, can I do it better? Like, what's the next level? What's, what's a higher level than, than just, you know, eat real food and exercise. So all the things I'm doing, right. And he was a very public figure and documented everything. Right. So by documenting, I feel like, you know, someone or whomever, or many people are going to look at my approach and be like, yeah, you did this and this, and I would have done this differently. So I feel like that pushes everybody forward and it, you know, improves better, you know, whereas, you know, if I did it in a cave and nobody knew, maybe, you know, society doesn't progress as much. I don't know. Hey, son, I know you got to get rolling a little bit. I didn't know if you had any questions you'd like to ask. Um, I had another one on supplements. Uh, I, I know you don't take a ton. You listed, have you ever looked into berberine? Um, it's been compared and touted similar results to metformin, but 
um, without risk of like the keto acidosis. And, um, you know, I can't really find many drawbacks. It also is anti-inflammatory. It also helps uh, regulate gut microbiome and can be an antimicrobial as well as, as needed. Um, any thoughts of you ever putting that in? Yeah. So I, I've, I'd, I'd agree. Berberine is in the same boat for me as metformin and its longevity effects are similar. I think the same magnitude of the lifespan extending effect for berberine. But um, for, for me too, like if, if I was taking berberine, I'd want to look at all the, so I think too, most people, I think when they supplement, they don't actually look at, um, is it actually working, you know? And then, you know, besides the subjective feel, like, can you show me biomarkers? All right, this was me before berberine or metformin. And now this is me after besides just glucose. So if someone said to me, all right, before metformin, biological age, 32, after metformin, biological age, 29, not just one measurement. All right, look at my next measurement, 29, 29, 29. So, okay, there's a, there's a, there's definitely improvement there. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not so rigorous as to say, uh, don't take it, but if, just make sure that if you do take it, measure some things to actually show that it's working. And, you know, like just also too, like, uh, um, NR and NMN, you know, the NAD precursors, I feel like almost everybody I see talking about that, you know, because that those are involved in aging, you know, they're just, they're just taking it on faith without looking at any, you know, is it even working, you know? So, and, and that's important so that you're not, you know, just peeing your money down the toilet, but I agree. There's a lot of favorable data on, on Burberry for sure. Got anything else you want to ask before you go, Gramps? No, I'm good. I have a question. No. Nope. About um, so we had a uh, a guest on our our podcast a while ago, and you know we have you know but the, in the bodybuilding community community we speak very highly of curcumin, um, from from the turmeric extract, right? And this person actually didn't uh, see uh, the value in in uh, curcumin, and I'm curious, do you? believe curcumin is useful in lowering inflammation and CRP, or do you disagree? So um, I eat turmeric. For me, I try to get everything from whole foods. So curcumin obviously isn't turmeric or turmeric, however you say it. So uh, I actually put it in my tea every morning, uh, yep. you know, like a half a gram or a gram. Now, is that actually doing anything? I mean, I haven't done the experiment on me, take it out, how does my stuff change? But there's so much, it, because I'm getting it as a food, and not as just the individual nutrient, you know, I feel like I don't necessarily need to do that, but yeah, I, I think curcumin and turmeric are important. You know, uh, that's why, you know, I include it for my, myself, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I just try to, yeah, it, I, it's going to sound like I'm anti-supplement for me. It's, you know, I'm all for it. If people, you know, like I said, if people can show that it's actually doing stuff in them, but can you get there without using the supplements? Are there other things that you can change in your diet, you know, cleaning it up, eating less of this, eating more of that, finding that food prescription first. Um, because when you think about food as like thousands of chemicals, I'd bet that the food is going to have more of an impact than, you know, the singular, you know, whether it's curcumin or whether it's berberine, you know, the individual nutrients versus the thousands of chemicals you get from food. So. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you real quick about homocysteine levels. That's kind of been something new, newer, I guess in the last few years has kind of popped up on everyone's must have blood works and things like that. What's your, what's your value on that? In terms of uh, homocysteine as a biomarker and an important one? Yeah, in terms of uh, anti-aging, in terms of just how much people should pay attention to it, should you get it pulled, things like that. Yeah, so uh, I measure it a, a few times a year. Uh, it's in, in primarily involved with stroke risk. My, uh, my dad's brother died at 51 of a stroke. 
So it's, you know, I, I think lesson number one is prevent what's going to kill you. And it, in terms of what's in your family history, so that's in my family history. So I want to keep an eye on it. Um, uh-huh. And for me, it's about double the, uh, you know, what's optimal, you know, so optimal is I think somewhere less than nine minus 15. If I do nothing, 15 or higher. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's um, 5.1. Wow. I wish I had values 5.1. <laughs> and what's interesting for me is higher protein dropped it from 15 to like uh, nine or nine, eight or somewhere in that range. Hmm. Higher protein dropped it. But now I'm seeing higher protein, maybe uh, negatively, you know, uh, my glucose going up and my kidney function getting worse. And that's correlated with my protein intake. So I've actually cut my protein intake by a little bit. So, but I'd say a homocysteine is an important one. Um, uh, you know, th- there's so many things to measure though, right? But yeah, homocysteine, I put that on the list. I, actually, another one too is lipoprotein A. Um, but for me, again, I have cardiovascular uh, disease, um, you know, um, in my uh, family history. So lipoprotein A would be another one for uh, people who are in that same boat. Can you elaborate on that one? I've never, ever heard that one. Yeah. So lipoprotein A is thought to be more atherogenic than LDL, even though there's a lot of debate on LDL, if it mm-hmm. if it's even involved in heart disease. But um, yeah, so values, I think less than 30 are optimal and mine are consistently around 40 and they've consistently been around 40 for the longest time. So um, yeah, that's a simplistic answer, but uh, yeah. Hey, oh. Yeah. Or if it's not lipoprotein A, you know, getting like the small, identifying, you know, the uh, lipoprotein panel where you're, you know, uh, the small dense LDLs and, you know, what's the density of the HDLs. That's important too. But I haven't gone to that level yet. I've stuck with just the lipoprotein A. I have a really random question. Where do you recommend people get all this blood work out? Do you you have any hacks, any suggestions? Because I mean, I know that I would love to do all this blood work, but in my head, I'm like, shit, it's about 100, 200 bucks pop. No, not that much, about a hundred, but I I was, uh, you know, uh, lucky enough to just have the nurses at Tufts draw my blood whenever I, you know, I just go up and they would draw my blood, but Tufts is shut down basically. Uh, I mean, it's open, but it's mostly shut down too at the same point. But yeah, uh, so I, I haven't been able to do that. So I've actually got to drive to quest. So I order my blood, uh, blood labs online from a company called, uh, called life extension. Uh, and I'm not sponsored I, you know, they're not paying me to say that. So we recommend them. So don't worry. You can go ahead and say what you want to say. Cool, we cool. recommend them out. So are they sponsoring you? Because you know, at least nope, they do not out. sponsor us. We just recommend them out because yeah. it's less bullshit for our clients to endure. Yeah. And they've got decent prices too, from what I've seen. I mean, they, their prices are actually better than what, you know, we charge over it or what the blood court charges at Tufts. But so yeah, I ordered the blood test from them and they've got a pretty exhaustive list of uh, stuff to measure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I get the, the, get the tubes and then I drive to quest, uh, which sucks. I wish I had a blood, you know, blood place right, right down the block, but yeah, I drive there. I pay them 15 bucks to draw my blood and then they centrifuge it. And, uh, yeah, I just mail it off from there. It's pretty, pretty simplistic. And you know, the cost of the, the, the CBC, the complete blood count and CRP, the cost of those two by going through life extension is, I don't know, about 75 bucks. So between that and, you know, paying the 15 for the uh, blood draw fee. And then I rent the car. I don't have a car here in Boston. So it is like a hundred and 120 bucks for that. But uh, I don't know. I'd rather invest. I know it, you know, I'd rather invest in my health than have to pay 10 times, you know, 10 X. Yeah. You know, no, uh, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have any further questions? I have one final one before I have to get off. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Dude. Have you ever done an echocardiogram on yourself just to watch not yet, but that for sure is on my list. That and a coronary calcium score because okay. biomarkers are one thing, but actually seeing that you're, you know, you're 
uh, arteries are clean and free. Calcium score too. The have you done that? No, and I'm worried that my doctor won't um, won't play ball and not even really know about. It. Sometimes they say that they don't even aren't even educated on it, so I'm not sure when I go ask. But at my next appointment, I'd like to because I heard for insurance you can get it done for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, All right. I'm done i still stand by what i said this past week and i don't want to know be like shit jeff you're full of concrete good luck <laughs> ah. yeah, yeah but once but once you know then you can try to intervene before i don't know i i've seen it i've seen people going down by stroke and then they're completely incapacitated and i just can't stand the idea of uh aging ripping basically my soul you know away so i want to know as much as i can and try to intervene as soon as i can so well, yeah, if you had osteoporosis, isn't the only way to reverse that? It's vitamin K2 from what the literature has shown. I don't know if that's the only way, but I mean, you know, uh, you kind of uh, you kind of broke up there. I heard vitamin K2. I didn't hear the other, the yeah, last part. Yeah, so if you have the osteoporosis building up, your calcium is building up, isn't vitamin K2 thought to be the only way to help reverse that? I don't know if it's the only way, but I mean, weight-bearing exercise, right? I mean, that that seems like the obvious, but uh, yeah, I'm not, osteoporosis isn't my thing, so I couldn't tell you, you know, in depth about which which would be best, but. No, I was saying osteoporosis, like the hardening of the arteries. Oh, osteoporosis is uh, where the bones basically hollow Correct. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was asking about the hardening of the arteries. If yeah, you yeah, had yeah. that score, isn't vitamin K2 the only thing that you can use to yeah, help reverse so, that? So K2 is involved in the protein that um, uh, I think it's, uh, so it either blocks the calcification or, or it's involved in that mechanism for sure. But I don't know that that's sufficient by itself to completely, you know, reverse it. Um, because then the, then the issue is, did, did, did the uh, calcification of the arteries happen because you were just vitamin K2 deficient for your whole life? Or are there other things in your diet, you know, that, that were making it worse, whatever they may be. I mean, too much sugar or who knows what, right? So mm-hmm. identifying the trigger um, in addition to K2 would probably be a beneficial, beneficial strategy. Medicine would just give you the K2, right? But for me, I want right. to know what, ca- what caused it. Um, so. Yeah, no, I appreciate you answering that. Sue, do you have a question for him? Um, I think my notes here, I'm pretty sure I had one more. All your notes, huh? Hey, man, I, I go through this stuff with a fine tooth comb. Make sure. I appreciate Listen. it. Because um, I have a question if you want to look why, I, and I can ask mine if you want to yeah, look. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. All right. So I see you're wearing a whoop band. I'm a whoop whore. What's your <laughs> thought on uh, HRV? I just presented on it this past weekend about HRV. I took a deep dive into it. So I want to know your thoughts on it. And do you believe like I do that it's going to be the next hot thing in the fitness industry for with converging technologies to really enhance the longevity model? So I, I assume that it was already one of the hot things. I don't know, but uh, maybe I'm, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the field needs to catch up even more. I mean, I guess the average person just wants to track their steps and heart rate, right? But, Correct. Most people do. So I, I wasn't even into uh, heart rate variability at all. I wasn't even considering it until about 10 years ago. A guy I know was talking about, and he's a, like a running coach. He was like heart rate variability. So yeah, as I started to educate myself too, I mean, it's, it's definitely important. So um, in terms of its changes during aging and well, actually before I go there, what I should say is um, so endurance athletes, uh, there's a study of Olympic finish endurance athletes and actually exercise is known to increase average lifespan but like going back to the original point of where are the bodybuilders at 115 years old, same thing for marathon runners, you know, there may be the, the odd, the oddball, you know, that gets to hundred and actually is a marathon runner, but that's generally not the case too. But, uh, 
um, exercise is well known to extend average lifespan, but not maximal. So there's clearly something about exercise, whether it's, you know, strength training or, uh, you know, like in the case of Jack Elaine, because I mean, he wasn't necessarily, you know, a marathon runner, even though he did swimming workouts for two hours, dude was still lifting weights. But so there's something clearly good about exercise in terms of not just the uh, function and uh, average lifespan, but there's, uh, you know, also something bad about it that limits you from getting to the maximum. So for me, it's like, what are the variables that impact that? You know, um, I, I think heart rate variability is one of those variables. You know, it, it sounds like I'm making a stupid commercial for it, right? But, but that's the truth, right? Because if, if you're overtrained and you train through it and you're, that's, your, your, your sympathetic and nervous system is going to be out of balance, you're going to have a low heart rate variability. I've seen, I've seen anecdotal stories of, you know, um, uh, like this one girl was, you know, lean on the outside. And then she's like, my heart rate variability is 20. You're showing data that heart rate variability of 20 is found in 80 year olds, which is a fact. It's not my opinion. So I'd say she's probably overtraining, right? She, she doesn't want to admit it, but she's probably overtraining. So, you know, is heart rate variability and tracking resting heart rate, tracking those cardiovascular related uh, metrics, is that going to be, um, you know, are those things going to be uh, part of the story to help extend the window of uh, health and lifespan beyond the average, increasing the average lifespan towards closer to getting to the maximum and beyond? I don't know, but I think it's, uh, I, I put my, I'd put my bet on, you know, yes. I love it. Cause I agree with you hundred cool. percent. It's changed my life since I started monitoring with my whoop. My sleep is better. I feel better. I know what foods really fuck me up. Don't fuck me up. I know alcohol destroys me. I know if I smoke pot too close to bed that I don't get as good as sleep, like just weird things like that, that you're able to keep track of over time. So what um, makes yours, do you know what makes yours better? Because I mean, there's a lot of stuff, you know, that people talk about. They're like, do this, do that. And it th most of that stuff doesn't work for me, but what about micronutrients has been a huge one for me, like really fortifying up with like, I do romaine lettuce, asparagus, green apples, a lot of stuff like that. Box breathing, um, Box doing breathing. that, you know, the whole, uh, four seconds, inhale, hold four, exhale four, let it just be still for four and repeat that. If I do that about 10 times and do like light stretching and like meditation, um, it will actually do it. But if you want a good hack, I talked about this past weekend at the PC. I have data I've collected showing that mushrooms and LSD and microdosing does improve your HRV. Oh God, how much? How much like uh, what, you're what looking that? at 200 to 400 milligrams of mushrooms. And then you're looking at 10 to 15 micrograms of LSD, very small microdosing amounts, enhance your HRV the next day. And we're talking like my HRV right now, I'm in a building block. So my HRV is about 38 where I'm normally like 46, 50 and I'm a 40 year old male. So I'm above. So that's good. Um, you're talking, it'll shoot up to 70, 80 after I microdose. Wow. Yeah. So there's you, something about it. You can yeah. feel it the next day. You are just so chill. Everybody. Yeah, it literally shifts you parasympathetic. Like uh, it's the craziest thing. I've actually tweet, uh, not tweeted, but IG that uh, Tim Ferriss and those people. But I'm like, you guys need to be looking at this because I've got the data to prove it. Silas Sibbins on is on my list. Magic mushrooms are on my list. I've never done that, so uh, you know, I, part of me is scared to do it because if I get some mushrooms out here from who, from who knows who knows who, <laughs> right? Who knows what I'm getting, right? And mushrooms can kill you, so. I don't want to be the, you know, the dude who wanted to live forever and then died because he ate some bad shrooms, right? <laughs> but I'm open to that. I, I've got, I've got MD friends that, that recommend my, you know, microdosing. I don't know, not necessarily for the point of uh, HRV, but um, I mean, it, it basically, from what I've seen, it, 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 you know, helps your brain talk to each other, talk to itself more. Right. And the more brain connectivity that you have, that's good. I mean, brain 
anyway, yeah. So uh, I'm wow. That's that's it, cool. It's been shown in recent research. I saw that I read up on to help reverse Alzheimer's to slow down yeah. the protein buildup in the brain. Um, they did that study with 60 year olds. I'm real big in this. Like it's, I've talked about openly on the podcast. It's been the one form of tr- uh, therapy I've done for over three years that has been able to help my mental health, depressional uh, bouts that I suffer. But I noticed when I got my whoop, like last September, like I could tell you when my testosterone doses go too high. I could tell you when my growth hormone doses go too high. I could tell you about what 19 nor Andros does to my body. I could tell you all this crazy shit because I've been watching it for every year. But historically, every time I do a microdose, the next day I am a green recovery. So does it affect, so the heart rate variability goes up. Does your resting heart rate go down on that night too when you take it? It'll stay the same. It'll be, I'm normally about 55 to 59 on my resting heart rate. It doesn't really shift too much there. And my respiratory rates anywhere from a 14.6 to 15.6, depending upon like sinus drainage and things like that. So calorie intake for me crushes everything. I mean, like if I eat, if I overeat heart rate variability, you know, and and resting heart rate goes up. So that's like the biggest variable that affects that those things for me. So, but then it's tricky because if I under eat too much, it crushes, kills my sleep and, and, and messes up, you know, heart rate variability and resting heart rate too. So like finding that sweet spot of calorie intake. Um, yeah, mine's about, if I go over 2,800 calories, I'm more inclined to be yellow. Hmm. So there is some truth to that. Yeah. I also noticed that high intensity interval training helps my HRV, like very small bouts. So if I do like just five, six intervals, 20 on, 20 off, I'm more inclined to have a green recovery as well. Mm-hmm. And blue light blockers. Oh, really? That works for you? Yeah. Blue light lockers were great for me, man. About an hour and a half before bed. It helps chill me out. I'm in fall asleep by 730 at night. I'm up at 330 in the morning. Well, I mean, we, the way you know we evolve, once the sun goes down, it's time to go to sleep. Yep, so dude, actually- it knocks me out. Like It's funny because if I take melatonin, I'll wake up in the middle of the night wired. Huh. Wow. Yeah. After about five, six hours, I'll wake up and just be like, bing, ready to go at 1 a.m. And I'm like, well, this sucks. So melatonin does the opposite for me. Even oh, like really? they sell it in like one milligram pills. I I, I literally take a, a a snip off of it, which I don't know, maybe one microgram. I mean, the, most of the pills still there. And that little bit amount, it'll put me to sleep. But then I'll wake up feeling like I still need to sleep 10 more hours or whatever I slept. It's crazy so, how individual every single yeah. one of us is in that regard. Definitely, it is. Yeah. But well, I'm glad a, you're in on the HRV thing because I think yeah, that's yeah. huge. For sure. For sure. For sure. I'm my sleep was messed up and I'm still trying to make it, you know, optimize my sleep. I mean, I'd love to wake up in the morning feeling amazing and completely refreshed. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, like, uh, you know, you get growth hormone released during uh, deep sleep. Mm-hmm. So if your sleep's all messed up, I mean, so yeah, I, I actually, part of the reason I bought it is like I said, I was overtraining and feeling like shit and getting bad sleep. So, uh, yeah. I'll be real with you. I monitored me injecting the H uh, growth hormone intravenously sub Q straight. I am, Pre-workout, first thing in the morning, uh, pre-fast cardio at 3.30 in the morning. I did it before bed. I never even noticed the difference in my sleep when I did it before bed. Mm. My de- my delta deep did not change. But if you want an interesting hack, if you take 150 mil- milligrams of alpha GPC before bed, you'll be more inclined to get about an extra 10 to 20 minutes of REM sleep every time without fail. Mm. So yeah, the choline in it, it's pretty, it's pretty neat, man. Like I'll, I have like a little stack I do before bed, which will usually when I take it, it helps score me a higher recovery. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not so much onto the recovery scores for me. It's more of uh, the heart rate variability. Definitely. Like if I got good quality sleep and like, yep. then my heart rate variability will be higher. And 
I'll feel like on the days when I feel better in the morning, heart rate variability will be higher. Like for me, that tracks better than, uh, than the recovery score. I, I, I almost don't pay much because there are days I'll get like five hours sleep and I just couldn't sleep for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And my heart rate variability, well, not my heart rate, the recovery score is like 95. And I'm like, I feel like dog shit. How's that even possible? So it's where they record at the last minute, whoop, the last minute of your deep sleep. If your heart rate spikes, that'd be the moment it clicks it. So that would be a, a sign that you would be registered at the end of deep in a going to a sympathetic state. So uh, you got. So if you look and see where the last thing was and there was a heart rate spike around your last deep, it could be a false reading like that. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Yep, it's some interesting stuff when I got into digging in it. There's some cool little t- little hacks out there on it. But um, so, so how long have you been wearing the whoop? Over a year. Year and a half, then. Cool. Yeah. No, I've enjoyed it. It's been a great product. I'm glad I got it. It beats Aura Ring to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Sue, what's your uh, final question? You've just been hanging out while we've been nerding out over this uh, HRV shit. Oh, so, so my party question is uh, for the for our audience and for for the people out there who are the naysayers, Doctor Lustgarden. So, what do you say to people who will say to you that what you're doing is pointless? What you're doing is over quantification of the self all this data mongering and all this stuff, just live your life. Like, what do you say to those people? Yeah. The, my first thought is I can't believe I'd have any haters and naysayers. I can't, I can't believe that's even possible because, 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 you know, it, all right. So there are people who've got like a, uh, you know, like a dietary ideology, like, Oh, I'm keto or I'm carnivore or I'm vegan. Right. Right. I, I'm not in any of those boats. And, like, or I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of those boats. For me, it's, if you can show me data, like biological age or blood test data, that, that your approach is optimal for you, I'm good. Like, I have no problem with that. Whereas, you know, the keto crowd, I'd be like, screw you, screw you, high carb types. And vegans would be like, are oh, you, you meet, you know, an, animal murderers to, to the right to carnival. So I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of on the sidelines there just saying, Show me data that it's actually optimal for you. And if your approach isn't optimal for you, maybe you want to think about adding this or that and really try to, right? So for me, I feel like I'd limit the naysayers like that. Now, in terms of my approach, uh, if, if there are going to be some naysayers, I mean, show me what works. Show me what works better. That's what I would say. Like, if you can show me your approach, doing nothing works better than, you know, hat tip. Like, that's all I can do, right? But I know for me, I don't have longevity genes. So I've got to work my ass off in all these different ways to actually try to do something. Now, will it do anything? That's the question, right? But I can say that, like, for example, uh, the active tracking, you'll learn about whatever you're trying to improve. And if you're good enough, you'll you'll improve it. Now, the question is, will those improvements actually positively impact your health? Or are you in that small range where you've increased it a little bit, but you really aren't doing anything in the big picture? But, but what's the alternative? Letting your stuff just, you know, rot with age? I don't want that to happen either. So. You know, um, I'm still working on optimizing my biological age. That's a work in progress. My resting heart rate, I've improved that over the past two years. Where I've got my heart rate variability going up, which is supposed to go down with age. So mm-hmm. for a lot of things, I'd say I'm on the right track. Um, you know, uh, but I won't, you know, for the naysayers, I'd say just show me what works better. And maybe, you know, my mind is always open to learn. Like I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't want to give off the impression like I know everything. I don't. I know a lot about what I know. But for example, uh, Paul Saladino, you know, the carnivore guy, I'm sure you guys yeah. know who he is, right? Mm-hmm. So um, he, uh, he posted on his show notes when he went on Rogan that, uh, um, you know, trying to justify a carnivore diet, just whatever, for whatever reason. But he said that uh, it was something about, um, so gut health, right? 
So that's one of the big detriments or big, one of the big drawbacks for the carnivore diet is you're not eating any fiber, you're screwing your gut health. So he posted a study showing that in cheetahs, they actually were able to use collagen to make short chain fatty acids, which improve gut health. I didn't even think about that. Like I, I didn't even consider that, but because I, I try to have an open mind where I'm like, all right, you know, maybe he knows something that I don't. So anyway, the long story short is, you know, uh, I try to keep an open mind, which should limit, should, it should limit the naysayers. So do you have any book recommendations? Uh, besides my own book? No, I have, I wrote you a have book. your own book. What's it? Go ahead. It's, throw it it's out there. uh microbial burden, a major cause of aging and age related disease. So, uh, okay. yeah. Amazon. But, uh, yeah, it's on Amazon e-Kindle, right. but, uh, it's, it's mostly a high fiber book, but, um, that's not to say don't eat meat, don't have a high protein diet. It's just, you know, figure out the balance. Um, because we evolved, you know, basically eating 3000 calories a day and, hundred grams of fiber per day. So it was, it was mostly animals and just leaves and vegetables. So, um, at least evolutionarily, but then when you translate that into gut health, most people don't eat anywhere near hundred grams of fiber a day, which is going to optimize, truly optimize gut health. So I would hate to be around me. What's the name of the book again? I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to pull this up. Uh, microbial burden. If you just search by my name, it should probably come up. Uh, cool. I got it. Yeah. I like to read. That's like my big thing. So, yeah, but I usually don't, I'm not, I'm not a book guy. I mean, I'm buried in, you know, scientific papers. I'm reading papers all the time, you know, which even though I wrote my own book and it's still somewhat current knowledge uh, or current, you know, uh, in terms of what I published. Um, once it, once most stuff gets into a book or most published publications get into a book, it's old news, right? You know, the field moves fast. So yeah, it does move fast. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you joining us. I know Jeffrey Sue and Jason does. Where can people go to like learn, learn from you? Um, how do they get a hold of you? Follow you? This is your chance yeah. to give them your plug, man. Yeah, yeah. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I'm all over the place. I've got my own website. You know, just uh, type my name in and you can find me somewhere. <laughs> Badass, man. Well, thank you for so much for taking the time to join us today. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Right, take, take care. care I appreciate it. Bye. Have a good night. Right. You too. All right. Bye bye.